and um, want to take, kind of take a little different approach uh, to the message this morning, just be, because I uh, felt led of the Lord to do this. But I want to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to go back and forth. We're going to do Luke chapter 1, and then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. Then we're going to go back to Luke, and we're going to read the beginning of Luke chapter 2. So you kind of have to have a little bit of coordination here this morning. And if you have a little ribbon thingy, you can put it in Luke chapter 1, and then another ribbon thingy in Matthew, and we're going to go back and forth. Just remember the second time we get to Luke, we're going to go to chapter 2. The reason I'm doing this is because of the chronological order in these books of the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. And there's no outline today uh, specifically. I want you to write as God lays things on your heart, uh, a verse, a reference, a statement that's made, um, a truth that you can take home and make uh, your Christmas week leading up to it um, more effective. Uh, I, you know, it, it said... We don't want to waste a good trial, but I also believe that we don't want to waste a good holiday, especially one that focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, I want to do my best to encourage you or do my best to equip you. And I'm going to ask the Lord to challenge us today in, in some things. And hopefully uh, this will make sense to you. I'm, I'm looking forward to the message. Luke chapter one, the Bible says, notice if you will, in verse 26, Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, and in the sixth month, now that sixth month is talking about the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, okay? So Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a, unto a city of Galilee named what? Nazareth. So remember that. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was who? Mary. Good. You're following along. At least some of you are. Verse 28. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name who? Jesus. Now, would you turn back, if you will, keep your little ribbon thingy there, and turn back to Matthew chapter 1. Mary has been told by God through the messenger Gabriel, you're going to have a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus, right? Now, at this point in Matthew chapter 1, uh, Matthew, or, uh, I'm sorry, Mary has already received the information, and she's already settled in her mind, be it unto me, According to thy will. Um, she calls herself the handmaid of the Lord. Whatever you want for my life, I'll do it. She settled that already. Okay? Now she gets the great pleasure of telling her family and Joseph, hey, I don't know how to say this, but I'm going to have a baby. Uh, excuse me? You're going to have a what? You're, I'm going to have a baby. And so the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded 
to put her away privily. Now, I want you to concentrate on the next few words here in verse 20. The Bible says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, what? Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, if you would please turn to the last reference in Luke chapter 2. And this will be the landing part, okay? Everybody with me? So Mary's been told by Gabriel, guess what? You're going to have a baby. Uh, But I've not known a man. Uh, Well, that's the cool thing. With God, all things are possible. So he's going to overshadow you. And he's going to put, by the Holy Spirit of God, the Son of God, in your womb. And it's all going to be okay. She submits. Well, now she goes and tells her family. And Joseph says, well, um, you know, I love you and everything, but man, that's a lot to take in. I mean, Mary, we're Jewish. We're of the house of David. Um, we, we've got a reputation to uphold with the house of David. And as much as I love you, I just don't think I can go through with this. While he thought on these things, he didn't want to make her a public example and shame her. So privately, He wasn't going to tell a whole lot of people and just divorce her and say the wedding's off. We're going to not go through with this, okay? And while he thought about how he was going to do that, God said, I'm sorry. Everything's going to be okay. Um, You are going to marry her, and she is going to have a baby, and you're going to call his name Jesus. And Joseph said, okay. All right, now look at chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of whom? Now, why is that important? Because they're from the house of David. So they knew they were supposed to go by decree back to their place of origin, which is called Bethlehem. And it tells us because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Verse five, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it wasn't enough that just the head of the household go. It wasn't enough that the head of the household or a messenger, a servant or whatever, take the taxes on behalf. Everyone had to go in person and show their vaccination card. I mean, their taxation card. They had to show that when they went back, that kind of leaked out. I'm sorry. Verse six to be ta- um, verse five to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Every woman that has had a baby knows what it means to be great with child. And all God's women said, "Amen." Amen. Okay. Verse seven, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the end. Wasn't that fun? That was fun. Okay, let's pray. Father, I yield myself to you again this morning. And Lord, I just want to ask you to to help me. I ask that you'd, uh, Lord, by thy spirit, just move me out of your way. And use me as an instrument of your righteousness in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. I pray that you'd give us understanding as your people. And I pray that as you speak, you'd give us wisdom and faith and courage to follow through with all that you challenge us today to be and to do, encompass our lives, Lord, with your love and grace. Fill our hearts with it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the landmark decorations of Christmas, I think that you'll agree, is the nativity scene. Uh, 
uh, figurines of a little baby laying peacefully in a feeding trough, surrounded by lowing animals, humble worshipers, and adoring parents. They're always a great pictorial reminder of the story of Christmas and its true meaning. Now, those figurines are much like pictures of a couple today having their first baby that may show the wonder of the moment and even the joy of new life, but those pictures don't tell the entire story, do they? They just kind of capture a moment in time. In many ways, it only shows the peaceful end of a much more dramatic story. Just like every child's birth, there's always a story behind the scene. For instance, my son, my second oldest child, Preston, uh, was due at the end of June, but his birth was delayed uh, unbeknownst to us for some reason, and we could not figure out why. Everybody was there. Uh, it was just a matter of now going through the motions and getting, and nothing was happening. Um, we had no idea that the day that Preston would be born would be on a Sunday, and it just happened to be the Sunday that my wife's mother would accept Christ as her personal Savior. Then he got to come into the world. Looking back, you could say, ah, well, now I get it. Now I know why Preston was so stubborn in coming out. It's because God delayed so that Cammie's mom would hear the gospel in such a way and prepare her heart in such a way that she would get saved that day. Now, the fact of the matter is, there was something going on that we couldn't see. So let's consider the story that took place behind the scene, if you will, of Jesus' birth. Now, remember all that we've read today and put yourself in the story and remember these things. Certainly, Joseph and Mary had plans by this time. If you're engaged and, 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 and being together like this is already being married in the Jewish, uh, in the Jewish realm. To be uh, vowed for is already there, all right? So certainly they had plans for life. Certainly they had made plans for marriage, when it was going to be and where it was going to be. Certainly they had pl- plans for their home, where it would be, when Joseph was going to start his business as a carpenter. All of those things were in play. And then, bang, she gets pregnant by God. Now all of a sudden she's going to have a baby. Now, the Bible says that while Joseph was thinking about what he was going to do, as he's thinking about everything, he makes the decision, okay, I know it's not a good deal, Uh, I feel like this is kind of weird, but I want to be a good guy, I want to divorce Mary, okay? So he has to go through the pains of making that decision, which, by the way, I don't think was an easy one for him. That's just my personal opinion. I don't think that was easy but it's where he landed. Then God comes in and says, um, no, you are actually not going to do what you plan to do. Well, okay. Now that that all gets settled and now they're trying to figure out life together. You kind of get it. They're real people. They, they now are being told by God, okay, you are going to be together and you have to live through the rumors. You have to live through the ridicule. You have to live through the shame. I've got this. As they deal with all that, certainly at some point in time, they begin to make plans again. This time about the birth. This time, I'm sure Mary by this time had the midwife lined up. She had already met the doctor and the anesthesiologist was all set up. What hospital she was going to go to. They had attended all of the, all of the birthing classes and they even sought out a good pediatrician and it was all in Nazareth. They had it all laid out. There's no doubt in my mind that they had done at least that much planning. Then as they plan on having the baby in Nazareth, as they go through and it almost is time, the government decides to step in. 
the government decides to make some mandates. Hey, I don't know where you were born, but wherever that is, you need to go and we need to collect some taxes for you. Take your ID, take your face mask, and they require everybody to go to their hometown, which meant that Mary and Joseph now was going to have to take a journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem on her due date, which is 70 miles. That's about a two days journey as they go to Nazareth. So they left. Now, that to me already sounds exhausting, all that I've said. But wait, there's more. Being the husband that Joseph was, he rented a good donkey. And then he just forgot one thing. He forgot to check Expedia for room availability. But as the journey went on, and as Mary said, do you have the room? And he assured her, well, no, not really. He convinced her everything will be fine. Don't worry, Mary. I know there's no internet reception out here, but I just know that there's going to be a room somewhere, someone's house. We're Jews. Jews are are hospitable. They allow us to go into their home. They feed us. They do everything that they're supposed to do. And so don't worry. And by the way, even if there's no room that someone would give us, uh, we'll just have to use the credit card. I'm sure there'll be a room at the end. Everything will be fine. Well, guess what? There was no room. Once again, their plans had been changed and just so happens that a gracious man finds them some space in a cattle stall. It's there that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, was born into this world. But wait, there's more. Now, after almost two years go by and they had settled there in Bethlehem, they'd even found a little house to rent. The Bible says when Joseph has a dream and just as plain as Gabriel said, Joseph, Mary is with child and you're going to have that child and she's going to call his name Jesus. The Bible says that God tells Joseph to pick up all of your family and go to Egypt. And I want you to stay there until I bring you out because Herod is seeking his life. Now, what a story, to be honest. God tells Joseph to do all of this, but you'd never get all of that just from looking at the nativity scene. You look at the nativity scene and you go, oh, isn't that cute? Look at the little baby Jesus and look at the sheep and the cattle and look at the wise man. You, you do all of that. Everybody does that. You look at the nativity scene and, and, and it depicts the end result. But to be honest, that nativity scene makes the story look so easy. It makes it seem so peaceful. Can I assure you that nothing was easy about the birth of Jesus Christ? At all. In fact, everything we just talked about kind of makes me anxious thinking about all of the moving and all of the changing and all of the scenes that take place. It wasn't easy for Joseph to accept the fact that Mary was pregnant in any way, shape, or form. It wasn't easy to decide to divorce her. And certainly it wasn't easy to tell her parents and his parents, look, I know this sounds weird, but me and Mary haven't been together, but she's pregnant. I know it may seem hard, but God has assured both of us that it's actually from God. Can you imagine that conversation happening with your children? Yeah, sure. You are a liar. You are being deceitful. I know what y'all did. No, we didn't. I don't believe you. Could have happened. Wasn't easy nonetheless. Certainly wasn't easy to bear the shame and go ahead and marry her. In fact, the whole story behind the scene of the nativity is a story of inconvenience. It's a story of difficulty. 
It's a story of decisions that had to be made, hard decisions. Inconveniences and difficulties seem to be the curbs that border our life, do they not? So what can we actually learn from this amazing story of what you could term as a change of plans? What do we learn from that? Let me give you three simple truths this morning, and I just want to be as practical and plain as I possibly can. What do we learn from all this? Write this down if you, if you have a pen and you're able to. Number one, plans change at the worst possible times, don't they? Plans change at the worst possible time. They're excited they're going to get engaged. Change of plans, you're pregnant. What? Okay, now we settle all that. We've made the decisions. We're going to have the baby Nazareth. Change of plans, you're going to have it in Bethlehem. Okay, we're going to go, but we want it in an inn. Change of plans. You're having it in a cattle trough. Okay, we're settled here now. Two years have gone by. Joseph's making a living. The Magi come. Change of plans. Now you have to raise him for a little while in Egypt until Herod dies. You just see that over and over. It's amazing. Are you one of those people who planned out your life or busy working that plan to the letter? You may even be trying to get as many people as you possibly can to buy into your plan. Maybe you're one of those people who's already planned out Christmas Day. You've already planned out Christmas dinner. You've even planned out the wonderful Christmas spirit that all of the friends and family are going to have when you're there. You've already planned it out. It's going to be amazing, even though Uncle Ralph is coming. All right. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever had your plans changed at the last minute? Have you ever had that happen? I just spoke to one of my good friends who was all packed up and ready for his December trip to Israel. Him and numerous people were on their way 24 hours before their flight was expected to take off. It was all canceled. Everybody had to change all of their plans. Everybody had to change all their tickets. Plans change. In the last 18 months, monumental plans have been changed. Plans change. Do you know why they change? I'm going to give you two reasons. You might want to write these down. Number one. God changes our plans because he has a bigger plan. Think about the story of Mary and Joseph. God changed their plans because he had a bigger plan. Isaiah 55 and verse 8, For my thoughts aren't your thoughts. Neither my ways are your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth and the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who hath known the mind of the lord who hath been his counselor or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever amen you see if god thinks that you have a good plan remember this he won't change them if god says look you got a plan in place. You sought me. That is a good plan. You've got it. But if they change, you can bet that it's because God has a bigger and a better plan. Now look, God changes your plans because he has a better and a bigger plan. Secondly, God changes our plans because he sees a bigger picture. He sees a bigger picture. Now watch. You and I don't see what's coming tomorrow. We don't see what's coming next week or even next year. But God does. Joseph and Mary never saw wedding plans going out the window, but God did. You see, they couldn't see the taxation coming or the full in, but God did see that. They didn't see Herod's murder plot coming, uh, coming but God did. Uh, the Bible says in Micah 5 and chapter 2 that God knew that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. He prophesied it. 
The Bible says in Revelation chapter one, why? Listen, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and was and which is to come the almighty. You see, God sees what we don't see. And if our plans are not going to bring him glory and not going to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ and are not going to match up with his, his will, guess what? Your plans change. Even when they're unexpected. Even if we don't like it. Look, Mary didn't like riding on a rented donkey for two days. Nine months pregnant. Hello. There's no way she was like, well, this is in my dreams. I couldn't have pictured this any better, Joseph, sitting on this donkey going 70 miles for two days. You are a wonderful, wonderful husband. You could have planned it better. Oh, there's no room? Well, check this one. Hours later, uh, Mary, sad to say, there's no room in any inn. But luckily, they have a cow stall. Great! Just as I saw it coming. I knew there would be so many people here. I knew you should have planned it better. That, no, look, the fact of the matter is, they didn't. there's no way that they could have seen that. But God saw it all. God sees all from beginning to the end. Now, please remember that God's plan to save mankind from sin and the glory of Jesus Christ was on the line. And listen, God will move heaven and earth and governments and nations and yes, even individuals to make that happen. And he did. Why? Because God changes his plans, even when they're at the worst moment, he changes our plans. But it just seems that way. It couldn't be any more inconvenient, God, that I got this phone call. It couldn't be any more inconvenient, God, that this happened. Well, guess what? It may be inconvenient to you, but it's very convenient to God. God's not taken back by a change in your plans. In fact, he's the author of it all. Our our plans change at the worst possible time. Secondly, as I read and I really just poured over the details of the story, I came to this conclusion. Number two, it's normal to struggle when plans change. It's normal to struggle with a change of plans. It's normal. Joseph, the Bible says, thought and feared. You say, how do you know that? Because of the message that the angel said, fear not, to take Mary unto thee as your wife. That means that he was scared. I don't know how I'm supposed to do this, but I don't know how I can do this. What was he doing? He was struggling um, Mary, the Bible says, initially was troubled at the saying. In fact, she said, this is a hard saying. What you're asking me to do is change my plans. I don't like this. This is not good. I don't feel comfortable with that. Fear not. You are highly favored, Mary. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen because of the grace of God. My goodness. We, were, we would also be foolish to think that as plans were very fluid in this story, as we've indicated that they would just be kind of the people that would say, okay. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think Mary was okay with not having a reservation. I don't think she was. I don't think that Joseph was just okay moving his family and then moving his family again. Why? Because everyone hates to move. I don't think it was easy for the plans to change so many times. There's just no way. Why? Because we're all creatures of habit. You, you ever see... If you ever go out in the countryside and you get to pull away, maybe on another hill or something, and you look down or if you see maybe a, an aerial photo or, or a drone footage of, of something out in the wild especially, you see all of these trails and you go, man, the, the, these like, did the county park carve all these? No, they're game trails. What, what does that mean? 
That means that the animals take that path so regularly that there's no vegetation there. They walk them. They know it. They, they, they go there all the time because they're creatures of habit. They know it's safe. They know the route. We're the same way. See, how do you know that? Well, since you brought it up, we eat relatively close to the same time every single day. I don't know about you, but at least I do. Okay? If you don't, you should. <laughs> all right? You have, whether you think you do or not, you are a creature of habit from the same way you wash your face, the same way you do your hair, the same way you do makeup, unless you're a guy, hopefully, the same way that you dress, the same way you put on what sock. By the way, it's always the left one first and then the right one. It's a sock and a sock and a shoe and a shoe. Don't ever put on sock and a shoe and a sock and a shoe. That's just wrong. Okay? I'm teaching you the ways of the Lord. All right? Left sandal, right sandal. I'm almost positive. All right? Left foot first, always when you take off, all right? Toilet paper goes over the top of the toilet paper, not underneath. And there's a variety of reasons why. Now watch. The fact of the matter is, every transition goes through three phases. Rejection, tolerance, and acceptance. Every transition. Oh, she's pregnant. Oh, I'm going to divorce her. Oh, I guess not. I'm going to marry her. Oh, we're going to have this. All of it. So think about this just for a minute. Why do we struggle with when plans change? In your mind, why do you struggle when plans change? You know, 7 o'clock breakfast, 8 o'clock devotions, 9 o'clock meeting, 10 o'clock this, 12 o'clock lunch, 2 o'clock this. And then all of a sudden, and you go from 7 o'clock to I don't know what happened to the rest of my day. And you come home and you feel like you've gone through a whirlwind. You know what I mean? I mean, why do we struggle with that? Let me, let me suggest a few reasons. Sometimes we struggle just because we're selfish. Let's just face it. But this was my plan. And it didn't work out. Well, I'm sorry. That's what happens. Plans change. Sometimes we struggle because we're selfish. Sometimes we struggle because we want to be in control. We have to be in control. Because if plans change, that means I'm not in control. And the struggle is me trying to get back in control. Another reason sometimes we struggle just because the, the change is so different and we loathe difference. Some of you walked into the auditorium and said, I don't see my seat anywhere because there's not three sections and now I've got to sit over here and now I feel like the church is tilted. You know what I mean? It's just different. We don't like different. We want to, guys want to go to work and come home and find it the same way when we left. I, my mom, my mom was forever re rearranging furniture. Was that like a 70s and 80s thing? Is that like an oral generation? Yeah. You still do it? You still do. Man alive. I used to come home and walk in my room and go, I'd check the door and the room number, make sure I was in the right place. Is this my room? Bed over there, bed in the corner, bed over here. And I'm like, why does she do this? I think maybe it was because we had shag carpet and she didn't want those little donuts to be in there from everything. I don't know why. I don't know why. To this day, the living room would be transformed. Dad would come in and be like, oh, you changed the living room again. And he'd just go back to do. It's amazing. And, and, and we, it just kind of like, ooh, it's a little changed and it takes a little bit. Sometimes it's just because it's different. Sometimes we struggle when plans change because of the way we may be perceived. Plans change throughout this story. And regardless of perception... They at what point and when and how we're not all sure because it doesn't say, but apparently they accepted it. They accepted the fact that they weren't in control. They accepted the fact that it wasn't going to happen just the way they planned it. 
They accepted the fact that even though it may be perceived weird by people, that it wasn't their doing anyway. You know, change is normal in life. And unexpected change is even more expected. Think about the judge Gideon. His plans changed. And he struggled with the change. He wasn't planning on being this great man of God and having all that kind of stuff. He's just threshing wheat. And God showed up and said, I've got a job for you. Wait a minute, with how many? You said with, I mean, God, you know, you know how many are here, right? And you know how many are out there? You know, that's not normal. Like 300 to 30,000, that's like a really bad ratio in war. I'm not sure if you know that. Oh, you do. <laughs> okay, well, it's all the same to you. Since I don't really get this, could you just do a couple things for me? And I'll just make sure that you're like the God of everything, right? <laughs> David's plans were changing every day. I'm sure Daniel didn't plan on going to Babylon when he was growing up. I'm sure he did not plan his graduation from high school in Babylon. I'm sure he was, I'm sure he wasn't thinking in, my, in his mind, you know what, I can't wait to graduate high school from the University of Babylon or from college. I, I'm sure he didn't plan on serving six kings and being a prophet of God when he left. I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure Paul's plans of what it meant to be in the ministry were never to be beaten and scourged and left for dead. I, I'm sure they were never that way. Plans change, and when our plans change, the longer we struggle with it, the more apt we are to make the wrong decision. The longer we struggle. The more apt we're, we're, we are to make the wrong decision. Why? Because we're thinking about us. Because why? Well, let's rehearse. Because we're selfish. Because we want to be in control. Because we don't like different. There's only one person whose plans never changed. And his name is Jesus Christ. His plan was to be born in a manger to a mom and a dad who are very committed to God. Check. His plan was to live as a carpenter's apprentice for 30 years in Nazareth where, where nothing was ever good to come out of. Check. His plan was then to live for three and a half years gathering people together, teaching them who he was, who the almighty God was, how to get there, and what it meant to live life to the fullest. Check. His plan was then to die. To die at the hands of the most powerful and immoral government this world has ever known. In the streets, on a cross, naked, and beaten so bad that he was to be unrecognizable. Check. That was his plan. And that plan never changed. Because it was God's perfect plan all along. He didn't have to change plans. God never redirected him. Why? Because he was doing always those things that pleased the Father. He wasn't going to make a decision without asking God and bathing it in prayer. How many times do you see Jesus praying in the New Testament? As he took the loaves and the fishes, Father, in John 17, before he goes to the, cro uh, goes to the cross, Father in heaven, pleading always to make sure that he was right where he needed to be, in the center of God's plan. It never changed. It never changed. That's why the plan for people to be saved has never changed in 2,000 years. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Therefore, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the son of God. I'm telling you that it's always been by grace and it always will be by grace because that's God's plan. It never changed. He's the only one. Are you struggling with God's plan for your family? For your church? For your job? Are you struggling with God's plan for your kids? Now look, it's normal to struggle with a change of plans. But knowing that God is actually the one in control and the author of changed plans, it means only one thing, and I'm done. Number three, and that is we can ultimately trust God's plan. Why? Because he sees a bigger picture. Which means because he sees it all, his plan is much better than your plan. Somebody say amen. Luke one thirty eight. Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed. It's interesting to me that he didn't depart until she was fully submitted. I believe with all of my heart, had she not, had she asked more questions, as she needed more clarification, he would have stayed. That's, what, that's my own heart. That's my own opinion. Can't find that in the word of God. But I just believe that when Mary said, Be it unto me according to thy word, God knew. I've got it. Gabriel, come on home. Boom. You're out of here. I got to send you to, to Joseph. Now we got to work on his heart. Matthew 121. And she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Bible says, and now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel being interpreted, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name, guess what it was? Jesus. See, the most important person in the Christmas story is Jesus Christ. Would you agree? All of the changes were brought about in that story. All for Jesus. The movement as to where he would be born. The movement as to where he would have to come out of. The movement as to where he would be back when he came out of there. By the way, I didn't even mention that. Back to Nazareth again. All of that was by God's orchestration and brought about for him. God will do whatever it takes to make his son and his plan the most important thing in your life. Whatever it takes. He's probably doing that right now bringing about his plan so that Jesus Christ is glorified and magnified in your life. And God's plan working in and through you will come about the same way that it did for Mary and Joseph. And I'm going to give you these two ways. This is how God's plan has worked out in every life. And it's always been the same way for 2000 years. Number one, God's plan will be brought about by the Holy Ghost. How am I supposed to have this baby? Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. Well, how am I supposed to marry this woman who's pregnant? Because it's not your kid. It's not anybody else's kid. It's God's. 
She's going to have a son by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So don't worry about it. But I don't understand that. I know you don't. But you can trust me because I'm the all-seeing, all-wise, all-powerful God. And I see what you don't see. Okay. What's his name again? Jesus. Then I'll call it Jesus. How did it all come about? He would overshadow Mary and place Jesus in her womb miraculously. And if you've been born again, that same spirit doesn't just overshadow you. It resides in you. And his one main ministry is to seek God's ultimate plan in your life. To pray for it to come to pass and to guide you into the truth and make it happen. That's his sole existence. And taking residence is to say, Father, what is the plan for this life to bring glory and honor and majesty to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom I bear witness in their heart this day? And as God gives it to him, he gives it to us and then prays for it to happen and then gives us the grace and the wisdom to make it happen. It always comes by the power of the Holy Ghost. Christ is born. The spirit is the forerunner. Christ is baptized. The spirit bears witness. Christ is tempted. The spirit leads him up. Christ descends. How did he get there? The spirit takes his place. The spirit comes and resides. So when you sense his Holy Spirit tugging, when you sense him leading, when it's uncomfortable, when it's vulnerable, and I feel out of control, when he's moving, he may be changing the plans you have into his. The Bible says in Zechariah 4, 6, then he answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, not by saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. God's plan will be brought about by the Holy Ghost. Secondly, God's plan will also be confirmed by the scripture. Second Samuel 23, verse 2, David said, the spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. One of the sweetest phrases, not only in the story of Jesus' birth, but throughout his life, is this phrase, and we read it earlier, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. The word of God spoken by the prophet. From Jesus' birth to resurrection, they say that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. That means that before it ever happened, that God's word was spoken before it ever happened. It was confirmed by God before it ever happened. Does everybody get that? So the spirit of God said, hey, Jeremiah, I want you to write this. Hey, Ezekiel, I want you to write this. Hey, Isaiah, I want you to write this about Jesus. Hey, Moses, I want you to write this about the branch. Hey, I want Micah, Malachi, I want you to write this about where he's going to be born. And I'm going to play this out. Now, Listen. For 400 years, God said nothing after that. Can you imagine? Lord, this is what you said would happen in my life. Lord, this is what you said. I'm expecting it for my kids. Lord, this is what you said. And none of it's happening. God, what's wrong? You could bet nothing is ever wrong with God. Nothing's ever wrong with his timing. Why? Because he sees the bigger picture. And when our plans aren't going in that direction, God says, look, then I'm going to do something to make sure that you get where you need to be. Hallelujah for that. That God would care about my life and Jesus' glory so much that he would say, listen, I've written a word for you and that word is going to happen. My word will not return void. It will accomplish therein where I've sent it unto. 
From his birth to his resurrection, God's plan for his life was planned. It was realized and fulfilled. Go through the gospels, my friend, and listen how many times Jesus' life, his death, his birth, his resurrection, his glorification proves that it all happens according to God's word. What's God been doing behind the scene of your life? What's he doing? Because there is one thing for sure. He is doing something. Because he's always working. Take, take your Bibles, will you please, and turn to the book of Philippians, and then we're done. Philippians chapter 2. We can always trust in his plan. The Bible says it's good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. In fact, God goes on to say it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And he clarifies even greater. In fact, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. It is the Lord that is my strength, the psalmist said, and my shield, my heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear him, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Now, all that I had just read, Mary and Joseph had access to. And I don't know, but I would love to get to heaven and I just want, I want to go up to Joseph and Mary and say, look, since I got you here just for a minute by myself. When we made all those nativity scenes, we weren't worshiping you. Okay, because we know who it was all about. But I'm so thankful that you actually trusted God. And I'm just wondering, did you know this verse? I'm sure I won't have to look at my phone or open my Bible, but I'll have it memorized. Did you know Isaiah 41.10 said, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Did you ever use that verse? Did you ever go back and say, Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Did you ever use that verse? Because I want to believe you did. I want to believe that when you read about your baby being born in Isaiah 9, that you just kept reading until you got to Isaiah 41 and thought, Dear God, I can't have this baby in public without you. God, I can't marry my wife without you. I can't go to Egypt without you. I can't raise this son without you. God, you said you'd help me, and I believe you. I just have to believe that something they had was solid from the word of God and they sensed his working and they submitted to it. And that's the story behind the scene. The Bible says in Philippians 2, wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in presence only, Philippians 2 and verse 12, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then look at the next verse. Talk about struggling. Do all things without murmuring and disputings. I can't believe God's making us go all the way to Bethlehem. Well, neither can I. It's not my fault. I know it's not your fault, but I just can't. I don't know if they did or not. But they got there. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Why? That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. Without rebuke. 
in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth, there it is again, the word of life. You see, when we just accept the change in plans and accept that God is in control regardless of my fear and however we get there, as long as we get there, because it's okay to struggle. God doesn't say, don't struggle. He just says, make the right choice. And the choice is always trusting me. However we get there. God says, when you do that, your faith shines in a world of darkness. It's a straight path in the world of crookedness. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that others may see your good works and glorify God, which is in heaven. Plans change, and when they do, remember it's God working behind the scenes. And he's doing it for his glory because at some point you told him that you love him. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I'm so grateful for the nativity scene. But Lord, over and over again, the Bible reveals it's not about the story. It's about the God behind the story. And Lord, the story of Mary and Joseph in a manger with baby Jesus is all about trust. It's about your plan being fulfilled for all of mankind because you saw a greater purpose, a greater end. And Lord, I'm so grateful that you found at least two people that you could trust with your plan. Their name is Joseph and Mary from the house of David. Lord, I'm so thankful that by your word and by your spirit, they overcame their fear, their wonder, and there's no doubt in my mind that once all of this was done, God, that there was still more change to come about. And in all of it, you were working like you are today. Father, I don't know why you wanted me to preach this message, why you wanted me to preach it this way. But I pray now that you'd use it. With heads bowed and your eyes closed. Would you stand together with me to your feet while Jenna begins to play? And just, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Nobody looking around. Is God altering your life? Let me ask it a different way. Are you okay with change? Are you okay with the way things are going or headed that are out of your control? Are you okay with things out of your control? Because I confess to you that sometimes it's so hard for me. Being out of control immediately provokes fear. And what God wants it to promote is faith. You can trust me. You can trust me. Maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, God spoke to my heart this morning personally, very specifically. I, I need to draw nigh to him. I need to spend a few moments this morning coming to him about this area in my life would you pray for me if that's you would you just slip up your hand real quick anybody like that very good anybody else pastor i see that hand thank you maybe you'd be more specific and say pastor i i'm struggling with change and i i want to ask you to pray for me specifically 
about not being in control. Would you just slip up your hand this morning? Anybody like that? All over the building. You put your hands down. Pastor, God's spoken to me today about trusting him more. That I need to trust him more and that I can trust him. How many would say with an uplifted hand, Pastor, that's my, my prayer request. Pray for me this morning. Anybody like that? All right. I'm going to pray for you. And as I do, I'm going to open this altar for invitation. I'm going to expect that somebody here, the Lord is moving in their heart. And I wonder if you just take a minute or two this morning and make this a hollowed ground where you and God could meet about change and about your trust. As we pray, as God leads you come. Heavenly Father, I come now to you, Lord, as the pastor of these people, and I ask on their behalf for your help. I ask that you would encourage their faith and strengthen it. God, I pray that they would learn to surrender to your will. And Lord, change is so scary. And yet, God, as Christians, we know that you are actually in control of all things. We have that truth. And God, the way we trust you has always been the same, by the leading of the Holy Spirit and the confirmation of your word. Would you please help us today to make that a reality, that we also would be able to fulfill your will for our life. Many people raise their hands today, God, about a specific need. And I, I know and believe with all of my heart that you know those needs and that you so desire to meet them and help them where they are. God, forgive us where we've come so short in our trusting in such a great God. Please, God, help. Please help. Please send your spirit to these homes, these marriages. Please send it to this church and help us, God, to trust you more. With heads bowed and eyes closed, people are here. They're praying. Do you need to come? I won't prolong it for very long. But as God moves, would you just pray where you are? Would you just give the reverence to our God of how great he is? And the fact that there are people today who are in great need of trusting God. All he wants us is to let go. All he wants is for us to trust him. That's all he wants. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Would you just trust him today?